I was uh, doing a little bit of research this week for a series that is coming up, and that series is is partially inspired by the the painting on the back wall back there. Um, that's a that's a depiction of Revelation chapter twenty one, if I'm not mistaken, and. There will come a day where we will be in a place where there won't be a lot of the things that we deal with and struggle with in this life. And so that series will take a look at a, hopefully, a, a, a good variety of, um, of things that are part of this present reality that will not be part of that reality. And so just to give you some sense of where I'm going with that, so what would it be if your life had no sin, no guilt, no shame, no sickness, no mourning, no conflict? What would that be like if we start to remove those things from our reality? What would it be like to live there? What's that? Yeah, exactly. That's the whole idea, right? To sort of take a look at maybe the idea of heaven, but from the vantage point of of removal of the things that plague us most, perhaps. And if you have anything you would like to see explored in that series, please send me an email. I'm, I'm in the crafting phase right now and would love to hear some of your input and whatnot. Um, but as I was doing some of the research for that this week, I came across uh, these words that we're about to read from Peter's, the Apostle Peter's first letter, and it struck me how strong and powerful these words are. Just two little verses at the beginning of his letter, and it, it really frames the rest of his correspondence to, this, to these young, struggling churches. And I'm just going to give you a little bit of the context and background. Uh, Peter, at this time, is probably in Rome, and he is probably, uh, well, he, he actually says in the letter, he uses a code word called Babylon, but that we take that to understand that he was in Rome when he wrote it. And... Uh, <clears throat> He is likely facing his eventual death in some capacity or or other. Uh, The emperor of Rome is probably uh, Nero at the time this is written, and he's probably already uh, set Rome on fire, much of the important part of Rome, and then he has blamed it on the Christians, um, and then he has systematically started the persecution of Christianity throughout the Roman Empire. And so Peter is going to write this letter from a place where he's probably pretty sure he's coming close to the end. We don't know exactly when he wrote this letter, but within the last four years of his life is probably when he wrote these. And he probably has seen the writing on the wall, so to speak, He knows that the churches that are out there in the rest of the Roman Empire are facing brutal opposition. 
and persecution. And so that's what prompts his letter. That's what this letter is addressed to deal with, is this idea of suffering as part of our present reality. And so I just want to read to you the opening two verses of Peter's letter. And as we do that, I want to ask you this question. Can you believe this? Can you believe this to be true about you? So imagine yourself sitting out in the far reaches of the Roman Empire and all forces are turned against you and your little band of of followers of Christ and you're wondering if you're even going to survive. And you hear these words. Are they true for you? 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. I think back to various points in my life where strong words have broken into my reality. Most of the examples that come to my mind are negative. It's probably true for you as well. Um, strength of word, strength of truth articulated, uh, the power of words, be they true or untrue. And again, most often, strong words are directed to do damage. Am I wrong about that? I think that's fairly universal. The strongest words we hear typically or tend to be those which are meant to harm. Peter turns the poles, if you will, from negative to positive. And he leads into this struggling group of people with words that are almost too strong to be believed. And I want us to just explore some of what Peter is saying. First of all, uh, we'll just talk about his his introduction. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. That means that he knew Jesus in person when Jesus was on this earth in some capacity or another. Um, Peter obviously was very close to Jesus. He spent quite a bit of time with him. He was in the inner circle, if you will. Um, And if anyone qualifies for the title of apostle, it's Peter. 
And of course, 11 of the 12 would eventually qualify for that title. And then they would add in a guy named Matthias after Judas left the circle. And then uh, Paul, who met Jesus physically uh, after the resurrection, uh, would also be counted among the apostles, or at least the original apostles of the church. And so Peter speaks with authority, and he leads with the authority that he has to speak. He says, these words come from one who's been there, who's seen and touched and heard and listened and known our Savior. So then he, he switches from the speaker to the audience. And he says about you that he's speaking to the elect. That means the group of people that are selected by God, that are chosen by God to be his family. Um, this is a, uh, a theological point that has been much debated throughout the history of Christianity. Uh, what is the extent of this election? Whose choice is it? Is it my choice or God's choice? Leaving all that aside, Peter simply says, God has chosen you. So that brings us to the first truth I want us to sort of sit in in this passage, and that is that you are called by God. That God calls you out of all the people on the earth to be part of his family, to be his child. You are chosen by the Father. That's what it means to be elect. That God elected to include you in his family. And so, what are the implications of this? You see, he's addressing this to the elect who are exiles in the dispersion. And this this is a loaded address. He's addressing this to really several layers of people, most likely. Um, If you remember, when... Christ ascended into heaven, the apostles were there, Peter was there, and witnesses said that that tongues like flames of fire descended upon the apostles. This is recorded in Acts chapter 1, if you want to read it for yourself. And that they began to speak to people who had gathered from all over the world in Jerusalem for a festival They began to speak to them in their native languages. So most communication would have been conducted in in Greek, in common Greek at that time. Uh, But in this particular case, the Holy Spirit moved upon these rednecks from Galilee to speak in dozens of foreign languages to thousands of people who had gathered in Jerusalem for this festival. And so imagine... um, you're you're in you're from Thailand and you happen to be in Venita, Oklahoma and somebody walks up to you and who looks like me and just starts speaking to you in fluent Thai that's a little weird that would get your attention imagine 12 rednecks speaking in 12 different languages simultaneously um 
in the middle of a festival where people are gathered from all over the world. This would be mind-blowing. And Peter was there, and he preached a sermon to that crowd, and then they dispersed. They went back home after the festival, having heard this message. And then there's another dispersion that Peter is probably alluding to in here, which is that of the persecution of the church, that God's people are, are being sort of scattered. They're not allowed to really um, gather in public and build any momentum to this growing uh, group. They're being persecuted. And so there's sort of a multiple layer, and it's Peter speaks in code in other parts of his book about certain things. Like I mentioned, Rome is called Babylon earlier, and he's probably using a double meaning or a layered meaning here, all this to say, you are the people that God has scattered. And if you think about that in the, in the ways that just we are scattered throughout this city in hospitals or military bases or farms or schools or anywhere where we, when we leave here, are scattered. That's similar to what Peter is, is saying to, to the people God has put out there in all these reaches. I'm talking to you. You are the elect. You are chosen. You are called by God. You're chosen by the Father. Be prepared for this dispersion. Be prepared to be sent out. Um, it doesn't always come easily, this being dispersed. But we are called to be infectious in the dispersal of ourselves. So when we're put out there, uh, Christianity was always intended to be more like a virus than a religion. Um, it's... It's not about, it's not really about bringing people in here, collecting people together. It's about what happens when God disperses us into the world and sends us into the lives of numerous other people. We will be far more effective at spreading grace outside of this building than we are as we're gathered here. Does that make sense? So, we, as the church, are at our weakest here in one sense in terms of reaching others. We do this because it's helpful to come together and be encouraged and enriched in our understanding of God's grace and love and plan for our lives. But the real meat is when we go out from here. When we are dispersed into the world, we must be prepared for that. and We must be infectious in the way we live out our faith You are sent for a reason. And so as you are chosen by the Father, you are known by the Father. Peter points out that all these dispersed people are elect because of the foreknowledge of God. I want to try to explain that word just a little bit. When when Peter uses the word knowledge and foreknowledge, it is a... It is a total knowing. It is an intimate knowing. This is speaking of a God who knows everything about you. It's, I don't think, as I've analyzed this word, I don't think it's a foreknowledge of prediction. It includes that. It includes God's ability to know the future. 
But this foreknowledge that Peter is talking about is God knew you intimately, fully, wholly before you were ever created. He knew who you were, who you would be, what you would think, how you would respond to him. And he loved you before he ever created you. And so we have this idea embedded here of knowledge that is intimate. In the way the Bible uses the same word to talk about, and the husband knew his wife, right? Um, And it's a very intimate articulation of, of God's knowledge of us. So you are known by God. He gets you. And I don't know about you, but I don't always feel like there are lots of people out there who get me. Right? And there's the surface me, which is pretty easy to get. Right? Um, Then there's the deeper me that is a little more tricky to figure out. And how long have I been married? 22 some odd years. Kathy says three or four of the best years of her life. Um, And we still miss each other. We still don't always get each other when it matters the most. Peter says you're known You're understood. God actually gets you. He knows what makes you tick. And he cares about that. He gets you and he loves you. He's crazy about you. He actually enjoys knowing you. Um, I, probably much like you, have a hard time living out of that truth. Many of us feel as though God is somehow disappointed in us for something we did in the past or the way we keep doing something in the present or the way we are sure we will do something in the future. We're worried that God it will give up on us. And God just says, Oy vey, I love you. I love you. Let this craziness out of your head I love you, I understand you, and I'm crazy about you. So let's keep growing closer. You are called by God, and you are grown by God. You are being grown into the man or woman of God that he created you to be. You are in the hands, Peter reminds us, of the Holy Spirit when he says, in the sanctification of the Spirit... Sanctification is just a fancy word for being made more pure, being made more holy. And it just implies the idea of growth. You're being grown. You're in the hands of God by the Holy Spirit. You're being made pure. And you are being shaped into the person he wants you to become for a purpose. And I want to be as clear as I possibly can about this. Uh, Many of you have been through, for lack of a better term, tragedies in your lives. Difficulties, trials, 
tribulations. And God doesn't cause those things in order to mess with you. But here's what he does do. He takes you in those circumstances and he shapes you and he grows you and he changes you so that when you are doing this thing called life with others and you come across someone who has suffered the way you have, there's someone who knows them, who gets them, who's been there, who can say, I know what that's like. And so God, in this foreknowledge and purpose with which he shapes us, is going somewhere with every chapter of our lives. He can take anything and move it forward for good in the lives of his people. And so whatever you've been through, there's someone else who will be going through that that God says, I need you to come alongside them. And I'll just tell you, if you have actually been there, you won't be the person saying stupid things to the people who are suffering. Right? If you've never been there, you might say something really unhelpful. But if you've really been there, and you know what that feels like, you won't be the one to stumble over your own words. And... So you're in the hands of the Holy Spirit and you are maturing in the Holy Spirit. This does not happen overnight with you or with any of the people you're frustrated with. It does not happen overnight. And if, if God can be patient with me, he can be patient with you. And his calling is for us to be patient with each other. This growth, this change, this becoming more pure is not automatic. It's a struggle. It will not happen overnight, and it will not happen without its growing pains. As I said to the kids, you will mess this up. Now that's a positive message, isn't it? Just my pure optimism coming out. You will mess this up. That's not the point. The fact that you are elect, that you are chosen by God, gives you the freedom to mess up and still be in the family. He's not going to kick you out because you make a mistake. So, you are called by God You are grown by God. And the final group of truths that Peter lands on in his greeting to these churches is that you are cleansed by God. He says, by the blood of the Son, or for sprinkling with his blood, you are forgiven and you are free This is huge. That fear of disappointing God, that fear of failure, that fear fear of being kicked out of the family is taken away on the cross. And you are set as 
eternally part of God's family. And as he ministers that truth to your heart, he wants you to know that you're forgiven and consequently free. So, what are you free from? You're free, and Peter unpacks this a little more further in, the, in this letter, but you're free from the guilt of the law, and you're free from the burden of the law. Judaism at this time, which is obviously the religious context out of which Christianity was born, was obsessed with the law. And the law was used as a weapon to beat people into submission or subjection or conformity. And Peter says, you're sprinkled by the blood, which is actually an Old Testament metaphor. The priest would take the blood from the sacrifice on the altar and put it in a little metal ball with holes in it, and he would do this. And it meant that the the cleansing and the forgiveness that is represented by that sacrifice is applied to the people. It's yours. You're covered. Your sins are gone. And you're free from this sense of burden to have to live in a certain way. And freedom is dangerous. We know that. We're learning that lesson since September 11th of 2001. Freedom is dangerous. Um, People will attack it. and People will use the freedom we give for evil. We, We learned that. We're learning that. But freedom is God's way of saying, I'm not afraid of you or anyone abusing the freedom. My love is greater than guilt or fear or shame or any of the other ways people try to control each other. And so we're cleansed by the blood of the Son in order to reflect the Son, to reflect who God is, so that when other people run into us in our dispersal, from here, they get a glimpse of what love looks like and feels like and acts like in real time. We're to reflect who God is through obedience that is motivated by love, not the law. That we learn to express goodness to others out of motives that are we reflect the son through obedience and through sacrifice the one thing that Jesus brought to this reality in which we live was a sacrifice a, a, a heart and a soul and a body that was willing to say I'll give this up for their sake It creates an ethic for us by which we are called to live, to be people who can sacrifice, who can give up what we want for the sake of others. 
And I absolutely love the way Peter wraps up his little greeting. So to those of you who were called by God and grown by God and cleansed by God, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. You are swimming in an ocean of grace and peace. You are surrounded by it. And you and I don't live that way. We don't. But the truth is nonetheless there that we are redefined. We are repositioned in eternity as part of God's family and we are sitting in an ocean of love, grace, and peace. It is ours. And we are called not just to live there, but to scoop it up and take it out into the world and give it away. And so, strong words... Hard to assimilate in many ways, but nonetheless strong. And Peter understood that this was not going to be easy. And so he frames what he wants to say to people who are in the midst of the struggle with strong words. Words that give shape to who we are and to how we live. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for the truth of these strong words that we indeed belong to you, that you are at work within us, growing us into the men and women of God that you want us to be, and that you indeed have cleansed us of all unrighteousness and replaced that with grace and peace. May we live in that reality more and more every day. We thank you for the sacrifice that redefines who we are in your Son, Jesus Christ, and by his blood. Amen.